Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio, and me, Deb Wolf, the host. If you're looking for YouTube, go to Deb Wolf Pet Expert on YouTube and you can see all kinds of videos. Golden Doodles and Standard Poodles and guests who come here, every kind of dog you can imagine, doing all kinds of tricks and demonstrating training and other stuff too. So today I've got Professor Dr. Stanley Korn back on the show because he's just so good to have as a guest. Keep us all on our toes. Welcome to the show, Dr. Korn. Glad to be here, Deb. So I was reading in the news something quite sad about snow leopards at the Nebraska Zoo, and they got the COVID and they died. And it turns out there's been quite a few zoo animals that got the COVID and died. There were some spotted hyenas and at the Denver Zoo, there were other animals. And it's just so, so, so sad. I don't know. What do you think about this? Well, it is sad. And, and, Snow leopards, actually, I have a fondness for them. I had a a friend uh, who was uh, a classmate from 100 years ago, and he got a degree in veterinary science, and he became the chief veterinarian for the uh, San Diego Zoo. And I was in California. The American Psychological Association meetings were being held in Los Angeles that year. And he dropped me a note saying, why don't you swing by, because you're going to be close, swing by to San Diego, and you can say hello to the snow leopard kits. They had just had a litter of snow leopards. So I went. Oh, what a treat. I went down expecting to find, you know, a bunch of kitten-sized things. And they were kittens, all right, but they were the size of my toller. Yeah, they grow fast. So <laughs> he's talking about a Nova Scotia duck toller. So a medium-sized, maybe a border collie-type sized dog. Pretty pretty large already with claws. 45 pounds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, but they're beautiful, you know, with their tufted ears and their white and spotted fur. But the thing is, the coronavirus, uh, this COVID, does not affect dogs, but it does affect cats. And the reason we found it out was actually a tiger in a zoo died. And when they did the autopsy, they found out that it had, it had been infected by the coronavirus. I think there were also a couple of um, cats in a cat cafe. Maybe it was Korea, someplace in Asia that contracted it from the multiple visitors. Well, the thing is that they are susceptible to this coronavirus. It's got a name, SARS something or another, but I'm not a veterinarian. But it is very sad. And we usually think of zoonotic diseases as being one in which a human being catches the disease from the animal. So, you know, a rabid dog bites you or something like that, and you get rabies. But we very seldom think about the fact that that animals can, in fact, catch some of our diseases. And in fact, you might remember, because it's still sort of dribbling on in the news, but you might remember that, that back about four or five months ago, the city of Chicago 
had an outbreak of influenza, of canine influenza. And it turns out that that was a variant of our everyday influenza, which had mutated and was infecting the canine population. Whereas this coronavirus, as I said, dogs seem to be quite lucky that they don't catch it but it does hit cats. By the way, every now and then you see a report in the news which says, you know, a dog has tested positive for coronavirus. And that's due to the fact that they're not doing the serum testing. They're doing the, the swab testing. So, you know, they take a nasal or an oral swab and dogs sort of, you know, lick the surfaces of everything. <laughs> And if somebody in the house happens to be positive, they pick it up. And so they're carrying it. It's essentially, you know, the, the virus on their tongue for, for, you know, several hours or even days mm -hmm. if, if there's somebody infected. But they're not catching it. And it's really, to the best of our knowledge, not transmissible from the dog to us. It is interesting, though, because when I heard the report of the snow leopards, as cute and fluffy and wonderful as they are, I was more sad about the hyena because like you, once you've touched something, work with something, I worked with a baby hyena. So it just brings you so close to it. And it makes you remember that animals, I don't know, just feeding it and cleaning it and its affection back. And the hyena I worked with was an abandoned orphan and it got reintroduced at the nature park once it was ready, but it had to be able to eat solid food and be more grown to be reintroduced to its pack. And so uh, the vet had brought it home one day and then I was supposed to keep it alive for a while. And uh, there was a bit of a language barrier and not a lot of information, but the thing got returned. It was good. It was good. Right away though, all the dogs on the kibbutz were reactive to this animal. They did not treat it like a dog. They treated it like it needed to be chased off. It was in danger at all times from anybody's dog. So I thought that was very interesting. Well, that's because hyenas are, in some respects, closer to cats than they are to dogs. Ah. But, you know... It, it goes to this whole idea that somehow or another, something helpless requires our intervention. I mean, you know, I'm dealing with that right now. I have an old Cavalier King Charles Spaniel who is, I mean, he's 12 already. And typically it's a breed which topples over at age 10. Yeah. And every time he has a bad day, I mean, he has a heart which is, you know, gradually starting to fail. You know, every time he has a bad day, I just sort of freak out. He's old, but I still treat him like a baby, like a puppy. So, and that's quite typical. I mean, you know, you might remember the whole free willy movement involving killer whales, uh, you know, which people developed a strong affection for. I think it's the wrong animal to form affection for <laughs> because they'd be just as happy eating you. But yes, yes, we're <laughs> a small snack. I, oh, one time I was on BC Ferries, I was working there and they, <laughs> the captain got on the, my, you know, the speaker and told everyone, oh, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, beautiful colony of seals to our left. Everybody look, 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 go, go to the windows. Everybody went to the windows. Everybody starts looking at the seals. One seal breaks away from the others, is going at such a speed and it seemed to be squealing. And it races toward this rock and it climbs up this rock so fast. And as all the children and all the passengers and tourists are watching, a giant orca mouth comes out of the water, swallows the seal, goes back down under, and all the children start crying. Mm -hmm. I was in a lifeguard position and I was supposed to give first aid and comfort. 
And all of a sudden, I had masses of children all around me bawling their eyes out at the first aid station. It was just a nightmare, but it was very real, very real indeed. So, yeah, killer whales. There was an incident that had to be 15 years ago, or maybe a little longer than that, when you get to be my age, time sort of muddles. But there was an incident of in the summer of a family swimming on a beach uh, outside of Tofino on the uh, Vancouver Island. So it's on the western side of the island. Right. And beautiful, big tides, lots of nature, gorgeous place. Gorgeous place over Wild. there. Wild. And the family was on the on the beach. They had two kids. And one of the kids is playing close to the water and uh, and started to move up. And mother screamed for the child to to come to her immediately. So the child started to run. And this killer whale actually, you know, leapt out of the water and landed, you know, halfway on the beach trying to get the kid. But the kid got away, (gasps) you know. But, uh, you know, and, and the killer whale struggled and eventually got back in the water. Yeah, okay. There was also, I remember, a little girl fell in and her grandpa pulled her out. A sea lion attacked her at a dock in Steveston. I mean, these aren't pets, everybody. <laughs> don't feed them and don't get too close. Come on now. All right, well, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about, well, I'm going to mention Yellowstone and Relatively Famous, because on both shows, they are showing AI. And I have a question for the professor about, well, I have a question. So you'll hear my question after the break. Stay tuned on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Listening to Animal Party, Pet Life Radio. And it seems that on TV lately and Netflix, on these shows, Yellowstone and Relatively Famous, the most disgusting thing they can think of, with the most disgusting duty they can assign a lower level employee, is to artificially inseminate some animal. In Yellowstone, it's cows. And I don't know what it is in Relatively Famous. <laughs> I think maybe goats. But recently, it's come to my attention that a lot of dog breeders are starting to do AI and also having failures. So I got this email from someone who was very upset over this because they paid a lot of money and they got the stuff and they did it. And the dog thought she was pregnant the whole time. She got milk, everything, past her due date. They take her in. And the vet says, there's no puppies in there. She's not pregnant. This is a false 
pregnancy. Okay, so do humans have false pregnancies? What what makes a dog have a false pregnancy? And and why it seems AI produces this far more than, you know, having the two together in a backyard and or in a controlled environment and mating them. Well, false pregnancies are not all that uncommon in dogs, whether or not they have had AI. And there are some symptoms that you will see. I mean, you know, yes, the female will seem to be lactating. And you will also find that they'll start nest building. I mean, they'll gather together all their toys together in a, um, as though they're going to nurse them and that kind of a thing. And the symptoms for that sort of thing can last for, you know, uh, uh, four, six uh, weeks at a time. And we're not exactly sure what triggers it. But it does appear to be the case that it's more common in females which have already had a litter. I noticed it a lot on the kibbutz where I was working with the nature reserve beside where I had my job. The dogs there were competitive. So they would actually steal each other's puppies. A, a retired or a female who was no longer having puppies would try to steal puppies from another one and nurse it. She'd have milk. And she'd have a whole area ranch. She'd be right on it. I think it was politics, though, because if you raise a puppy, it will be loyal to you, defend you, feed you, care for you. And they were living a very wild packed style life. I don't know, though. You know, I also had a cat once. I was doing foster care for uh, TNR cats and ended up with a bunch of kittens. And she he lactated for them. But she never did the false pregnancy thing. She just had milk, a spay cat. How is that even doable? Well, an evolutionary biologist that I know feels that that kind of thing is part of the adaptation to pack living. You can think of it as when you're living in a pack, if the uh, parents are not in the denning area, then the other animals in the pack will tend to nurture the puppies. And this seems like, I mean, his guess was that this was an extreme example of that, where you nurture the pack members, you know, just in case the parents are not going to make it or, or are absent or whatever else. But it's basically a speculation. I mean, we just don't have the data on this sort of thing. Scientists love to set up situations where they, they induce a condition and study the, the effects uh, once it's been induced. Well, how do you induce this particular thing? We don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's tricky. Okay, well, packs do different things. We're going to go to break and come back, and I'm going to ask you, why is it that I can have each and every dog as an individual trained to behave and not chase cats and behave? But when they're a group, even when I'm right there, eh, all bets are off. Okay, stay tuned. <laughs> we'll be back on Animal Party Pet Live Radio. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet 
Hello, you're back on Animal Party, Fat Life Radio, listening to me, Deb Wolf, talking to Dr. Korn about animal psychology. So how come I can have one dog, two dogs, just fine in the room with cats, and even ones that actually love them and clean them and sleep with them, but then if you get enough dogs and someone gets a naughty idea, like let's chase the cat, how come everybody goes for it? Even the best behaved, they're all in on it. What's going on there? Total mutiny. (laughs) Now, come on, you've had a child and two. (laughs) Yes. And you know that uh, they can be the best behaved individuals in the world. And they get out with a group of their friends, and one of them starts to act fringy. And all of a sudden, all of the kids act fringy. The wiring on social living animals is that when one of them exerts leadership and starts to do something, then the instinct is to join in. And it's that simple. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, you know, (laughs) a a troublemaker who decides that, in fact, uh, this would be fun to chase the cat or this would be fun to go, you know, vandalize a house. See, sometimes all it takes is me saying, excuse me, I'm right here. And they all stop. <gasps> she's right here. We forgot she was here. Oh, my God, she's here. You know, and it's like, but I was here the whole time. But you're just so involved in your group activity there. That's right. And somebody has claimed <laughs> leadership and that's enough. Oh, and then I claim it back when and I say I'm co- right exactly. here. Exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, we blew it. The queen's here. <laughs> okay, I understand now. It's because it's even the one who loves them will like reluctantly participate, you know? And I look at him like, shame on you. That's your friend. He's like, yeah, but you know, it was really fun. <laughs> yeah. And okay, so the other thing is when I do that, I'm right here or hey, hey, guys, be nice to the cat or whatever. Usually many of them, not just one, will immediately start sneezing. Okay, now that can't be coincidence, right? Like they're just, and it's like, are you just trying to be cute and divert me? Or are you mood changing like you do when I go in the car? Sometimes they sneeze when they go in the, they didn't think they were going. And I say, okay, you can go. And they're like, oh, sneeze, sneeze, sneeze. What is going on with the sneeze? Well, that's a stress response. And the guess is that they're sneezing to sort of blow whatever scent molecules they've been responding to out of their nose. So it's sort of <laughs> Satan get the behind me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like those superstitious ladies. Pip, pip. They're trying to get the cat. Oh, cat scent. Go away. I didn't chase it. It never happened. Pip, pip. That's not me. Oh, so funny. Wow. My dogs are so clever. Okay. So speaking of clever. Now, I know we always, we often, I try and argue the case with you that dogs are smarter or feel more or cats are being undervalued for their abilities. So lately, I noticed a few things. I noticed one dog that I take care of that's a guest here will actually cover other dogs with a blanket. Is that not tool use? I I don't know whether it's (laughs) tool use, but it is certainly a form of companionate behavior. And you got to remember when dogs are young, they pile up on, you know, the puppies pile up on one another to stay warm and to conserve their warmth. And some dogs learn that a blanket will work as well as a puppy. And so, you know, when I see that behavior where one dog is dragging a blanket over another dog, in my head, I hear the dog saying, well, let's be part of a puppy pile. And I have no scientific 
evidence of that, but that's sort of my speculation. Well, I do notice that the dog in question is picking a dog who's shivering with a dream or an older dog or a dog with a shorter coat. He's not doing it to the dogs that wouldn't like it. Yep. He's not he's not putting it on the big fluffy mastiff or what the dog who's boiling anyway. He's he's putting it on the ones who might need a blanket. I think it's a tool. Or the ones who will not <laughs> chase him away if he, if he says, let's go. Yeah, leave me alone, stupid. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's true. So, all right, now what about this one? And I've seen this, not even on video, I've actually seen it. It's a standard poodle, and he does it quite often. He will move a chair over to the counter, stand on the chair, and steal. That's got to be tool use, come on. Well, that is much closer to what I would think is tool use. And in fact, the breed which does that most often are beagles. Oh, interesting. To get at things, to get because they're unstoppable, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's their trait. <laughs> they, they will push, you know, objects over to to get onto, uh, you know, a higher surface to get food. They're so food motivated. And my favorite example of that sort of thing is I had a beagle by the name of Darby, and, and he was incredibly food motivated. And one day my toller was uh, sitting next to the counter and he stood up. And at that moment, Darby jumped on his back and from there leaped onto the counter. So he had used the uh -huh. other dog in the house as a ladder. See, now I see goats do that. Goats will actually stand on the less intelligent, more compliant sheep to reach leaves high up. I've seen that a whole lot. Yeah, well. It, it's one of the reasons I stopped keeping sheep. I felt so bad for them because the goats were so in charge. <laughs> <laughs> now I just have goats. Yeah. <laughs> but um, okay, so here's one more example, and this is cats. I continually complain whenever I have a cat expert on the on the radio. I'm always talking about this, even though people think I'm a cat expert. I always find someone who knows more, and I ask them, "How can I stop my cats from their constant experiment with?" gravity. And so what it is, is they just love to knock stuff off. They love to knock stuff off counters, and, but it's very strategic. If they want something on the counter that they can't open, they will knock it off intentionally for it to break open so they can eat it. And that to me is like the crow purposefully dropping the nut on a hard roof so it'll break open because it's the only way he could break it open. A tool, right? They're using gravity as a tool. You know, that, that's an interesting example. I think that in many instances, that's a learned behavior, that the first time that it happened was by accident and the container opened and the cat benefited from the container okay. being opened. And then afterwards, I mean, they are much more manipulative than dogs. And I don't mean in the psychological sense. I mean that they, they use their front paws much more for manipulating things. And so, so that, I think, is a learned behavior. It is certainly the case that those sort of accidental happenings can be learned by both cats and dogs. My favorite example is a guy in South Carolina had a uh, golden retriever and a little French bulldog. Now, as you know, the, the French bulldogs don't swim very well. At one point in time, the French bulldog had fallen off of this wharf that he, he used to fish off of, and the golden immediately jumped in and retrieved the little Frenchie. And of course, you know, the guy was very grateful and showed a lot of affection to the, to the golden and gave him a big treat and that sort of thing. 
Anyway, it happened again another time, and again, you know, the, the, the golden was rewarded for saving the Frenchie. And then the third time, he looked over, and there was the golden pushing the French bulldog off of the wharf. I totally get that. That Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. That's what the off thing is. The dog, yeah. you know, the dog has to jump up to get told, get down, get off. So yeah. then he gets rewarded. So you got this pogo stick dog, because if he just stays down or sits, nobody notices him. But if he jumps up and then does the great trick of getting off of you, whoa, good dog, good dog, good dog. He jumps on the bed and you say off and good dog, good dog. But if he just stays down, you ignore him. It's the same deal, right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's so smart. I got full news. Chucking him in the water and picking him up. And the little Frenchie's thinking, oh, brother, not again. <laughs> no. All right. Well. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Corin. That was an incredible show. Thank you once again. Anytime, Deb. All right, everybody. From me, Deb Wolf, Dr. Corin, and Animal Party Pet Life Radio, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.